So, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Quark's Talks. I swore that I wouldn't do another episode for a while because I was a bit busy, but um, I've had a lot on my mind, so I thought I would share it. It's actually kind of a continuation of the previous episode, which was about all the black women's stories, and I guess it's a part two because I watched a documentary for Tina Turner and it was called Tina. I think it was on Now TV and Sky. They did the premiere on the 27th of March, and I actually looked for the link, but I couldn't find it, which is why that um, episode I did a couple of days ago didn't include it, because that was the initial, like, I guess, ribbon on the stories I was telling of black women like Cicely Tyson and Maya Angelou. But after watching Tina's documentary, I felt like, I needed to do a continuation because there was so much on my mind after I watched it. And um, much like the women I spoke about before, Cicely Tyson, Whitney Houston, Maya Angelou, Nina Simone, Tina went through a very difficult upbringing where she experienced abandonment from her parents and eventually in her marriage to a very high-profile man Ike Turner experienced financial, sexual and physical abuse at his hands. And this two-hour documentary didn't hold back in telling the truth of Tina's story with her own voice. But there was a prologue, let's say, of her explaining the beginning of the story before the documentary even started. And she said something very substantial. And what she said was, and I quote, the good did not outweigh the bad in my life. And I thought, wow, that's probably one of the realest things I've ever heard. It's not something that people want to accept or look at because it's to say that all the hardship you endure doesn't always have a remedy or an upside or positive or silver lining. And to admit that, at the preface of the story, set the tone as I watched it, whereby I'm saying to myself, even with the win she was getting, she, as an 81-year-old woman, woman, is looking in hindsight at her own life and saying, the good did not outweigh the bad. Now, me as a 23-year-old woman, all I can do is listen and take heed, because this is a woman who is learned, might not have had the typical mainstream education that you see with high schoolers and university students, but was experienced in life and is, I guess, sending a warning that this can happen. And the ending was such a beautiful, beautiful ending and it was redemptive. But even then, to learn that even her ending, she says, was not a neutralization of the bad beginning is, again, something that I'm reckoning with as I decide on my life and what I want to be and who I want to be. So just as... I was saying before, um, I'm going to include a trigger warning in this episode because obviously there's a lot of difficult topics being approached, but Ike Turner was her rock star boyfriend, then husband, father of her son, who financially abused her, sexually and physically, domestically violated her. And... 
such an experience. I believe their marriage lasted 16 years. Marred her life. Marred her understanding of what love was. She explains in later interviews that she loved him. But again, I want to go back to the previous episode when I was speaking about how I think love for so many black women is a contortion. It's misrepresented. It's misguided. There is no objective love, in my opinion. But there are certain elements of healthy connections that are universal to every relationship. And that's care, probably kindness, patience and forgiveness. And this is something she did not experience in her relationship with her husband. And I think to even in my generation, whereby so many people used her as a caricature for banter, humour and laughter, making memes out of her situation, really separating the destruction and the pain she felt for the sake of satire. And it makes me realise how disillusioned we are to the pain of older black women in particular. She had reached a level of commercial success, huge commercial success, as a black rock star. Her performances, in comparison to artists like the Supremes, was a stark contrast of rambunctiousness, excitement, over-the-top behaviour that people had not seen in pretty much any black artist. She was at the precipice of a genre that was becoming white-dominated, even though her husband is said to be one of the originators of the genre, of her ex-husband, Eric Turner, was considered the originator of rock with his band one of their songs I think it's Rocky 88 was seen as one of the first songs to really identify rock as a genre but we know how that that industry tries to deracialize things once they become successful whether it's jazz and blues or rap and rock Whenever something is marketable, then suddenly it's no longer black. And that is what we saw in the documentary with Tina. And when she was asked about would she consider herself a black gospel artist, maybe I think she'd released a song that was gospel sounding, she said yes. So this is a woman that's connected to her roots and unapologetic about it. But we know how labels can be, we know how industries can be in trying to make you less of that black self. It's very common in many situations whereby women tend to date men who are in some way a superior to them, usually by age, experience. And I'm noticing a trend of many black women in popular industries like music or acting, essentially marrying their managers. I don't really know what to make of it. 
one thing I try not to do is trying to find the word. I try not to project onto relationships or identify storyline or make up a storyline or just over analyze relationships that I'm not a part of it's not my business but I can notice a trend and I respect consensual relationships I just don't think it's that much of a coincidence though that so many women in every industry are so drawn to the managerial position of men and I guess that says more about gender dynamics because I don't think this is a racial concept at all you see it marketed in things like pornography where it's like boss and secretary and these different individuals coming together in this consensual situation but being of marked status one is above and one is below or even if they work in tandem and together which often does happen as well there is just a stronger link between the two than if it was just romantic which can sometimes get messy is basically what I'm trying to conclude when you mix business with pleasure things become convoluted and we learn as Tina supposes that Ike had a fear of being abandoned and so he makes Tina his work wife in the quest to not be abandoned because if she is to lose him as her music partner she still doesn't lose him as her husband there's an element of control there that so many people eventually try to sever I've seen it in Mary J. Blige and her husband, who I believe was her manager, Mariah Carey and her husband, who I believe was her manager, Diana Ross and her husband, Barry Gordy, who I believe was her manager, P. Diddy and Cassie, again, manager. And you wonder whether managers are just infatuated with their artists or whether there's an element of control there whereby I'm the head of the music label I call the shots and I like that girl so I'm gonna sign her up but again I don't really like to pontificate on these issues too much because I think it creates a vacuum of of assumptions that I don't really like to go down. I like to try to get concrete explanations and understandings. Going forward, I actually wanted to explain more about why I'm making these podcasts. Um, And that's because I think we neglect the stories of older Black women in particular, even though they know so much and have so much history. But we shouldn't just mind them for their information I just think it's so funny how funny but not funny how wise these women are I know there are things that they hold public ideas and beliefs that we would now consider backwards 
or unhealthy. And just to dissuade and unlearn them is probably the route most people want to take. However, there are, I think, very universal, perpetual themes that they've experienced that everyone should know because cycles repeat themselves and to ignore these women would be to deny a whole breadth of history that told them that their voice did not matter and their voices do because arguably these are the forms of the women that we will eventually live up to become or emulate or at the very least the world will see us as because at the end of the day we can try to dissociate from what our predecessors were as people love to say we're not our ancestors even though I'm very indebted and proud of my ancestors but at the end of the day people will often still see us as that now I'm learning not to center other people's ideas of me I'm learning not to center whiteness maleness class and even respect other people's opinions of me because I know it comes from a a viewpoint that I just don't really care for. It's something of a survival tactic that I developed when I was young, and now I'm just going to keep holding it, only because I think the moment we start letting ourselves be validated by the outer world, as black women in particular, who also exist outside of the paradigm of gender as well as race, we we set ourselves up for failure, really. Um, there are some things that I'm always going to do, I'm always going to try my hardest in as many things as possible, whether that be my professional career, my academics, my personal and friendships and relationships. But I need to understand that these relationships exist outside of the paradigm of the state. I know that sounds ridiculous, but just try not to make these situations capitalist. Try not to make these situations racist or colorist. These personal relationships I'm developing should not exist within that. My career already does. My 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 studies already do. But my personal life has to be as much to myself and private as possible. And um, I saw a quote by Dionne Warwick, famous famous singer, on her Twitter. I believe she's like quite a funny woman on Twitter. She said, "Google me if you are curious about my life." I'm not writing all of that. And as much as I laughed. I thought it was exactly the problem with how we don't have all the black women's stories, you know. I was frustrated when I saw Cicely Tyson's book being released only this year when the woman was 90 plus and I was disappointed by the fact that she only had one book out and didn't have 10 because the woman is a catalogue of creativity who who has lived an extraordinary life. And the satisfaction with just one book for a woman that was that diverse when there are people in their 30s who are onto their fifth books. Tommy, we really think that we can get a whole entire story from a black woman in particular in one reading. And we can't. The book is big. I bought it. It's about 400 pages. It's called Just As I Am. It comes from a gospel song. But this is a woman who had the richest history, not just because of her age but because of her status, what she lived through. And we have one book of her voice telling us about what she experienced. And as much as I'm grateful, I'm not satisfied that she did not have multiple books. 
talking about the Caribbean immigration that her parents um the experience dealt with coming from a small island in the Caribbean to come to America, giving birth to her and her sister and her brother, raising them. Just in a few pages, they managed to get these parts down, but I'm always like, there should be more. And what I find really beautiful, actually, about Cicely Tyson is the assumption that I had, a lot of women had, that she didn't have children, but she did. She had a daughter that she had as a teenager which is a very common story about a lot of black women, right? Tina Turner also had a kid before she met Ike Turner at 18 years of age. Maya Angelou had a kid very young, even Oprah Winfrey, who got pregnant very young, and unfortunately her baby died. It seems like, I don't want to say um, a stage that all black women go through, but I find that interesting that Cicely Tyson did not make that known. I don't believe that's even on her Wikipedia, you know? And it says a lot about privacy. And protection. Her West Indian background is not well known. Like, she doesn't wear that on her sleeve. I guess because as part of being an actor or an actress, you want to create different stories, and it's not necessarily your own. Reading the story, I was, I was aware of the fact that she was actually asked on multiple occasions to write a book, but she kept declining, which is exactly what I kind of feel. Dionne Warwick was saying in that tweet, Google me if you're curious about my life. I am not writing all of that. I feel like black women, to some extent, don't really feel the need to tell their stories. But why not? Why not have that audacity, that sense of... of... recording? It doesn't hurt anyone. But there are a bunch of explanations as to why they feel that way. Sometimes it's the culture of silence. Sometimes it's shame. Sometimes it's just not necessary. Who wants to read that? They don't perhaps know their marketability, their popularity, or they don't care for it because their life is their life. As so many women have said, I think it's Octavia Butler, who says, like, my life is my life. As as if to say, I don't need to explain it. I don't need to justify it. Not every woman is Audrey Lord. Not every black woman wants to create her life and tell everybody about it and make her practice praxis, you know? But I'm glad many black women are coming to the conclusion that this is worth telling, even if it's only one person that reads it. I remember feeling very represented in Issa Rae's Awkward Black Girl, because finally I was like, oh, a dodgy black girl is being documented in this light-hearted comedic effect of book. I needed that when I was at the age I read it, which was not even, even in my late teens, I think I was in my early 20s, just to read this biographical, tongue-in-cheek, hilarious book. And now I'm going to read Gabori Sidaib's book, because again, needing these stories to really understand myself in different contexts. I think about the fact that Mariah Carey, whose book recently came out, and Anyone who knows me knows I adore Mariah Carey. I think she's one of the most brilliant musicians of all time. And I look forward to what she does in the future. She's meteoric. She's rubbed shoulders with the, the legends of the world, from the Lisa Vandroses to the Diana Rosses to the Michael Jacksons and 
boys to men and and she and she does it so unapologetically which i love this is a woman that for all intents and purposes arguably is white passing doesn't have to wear her racial identity on her sleeve but acknowledges herself as a woman of black descent multiracial descent and would collaborate with the odbs and the Jermaine Dupri's and the Jay Z's, something that even black artists themselves would decline because that would be too black. And arguably, she was able to get away with it because of her appearance. Like, I'm not dense, but her desire was so overt in collaborating with artists that in the mainstream, I have a shunned or not encouraged to be collaborated with tells you about the integrity of this woman not doing it for fashion or because a label recommended it but because it's what she desired to do putting men in her videos that represented her love interest you know Busta Rhymes she's done songs with Trey Songs, Miguel who hasn't she done a song with she even did a song with Nicki Minaj before the little issue. Whitney Houston, she's got a song with. Whitney Houston, like, this is a legend. And it's so funny, because when I was young, I remember hearing she was a diva, and I was like, what's a diva? I don't even know what a diva is. And they tried to make it seem like a bad thing. The woman is is not average. She's so far above average, and she barely has, I don't think, I've even, I'm not sure whether she has a Grammy, but it goes to show you it goes to show you the fact that she doesn't have the most Grammy shocks me. Like, I love Beyonce. I appreciate Beyonce. This is not, like, any shade to her. But Mariah Carey is just... She should have more Grammys, man. She should have more. Not just from her days in the 90s. I'm talking the 2000s. I heard today's the, like, 15 or 16-year anniversary of We Belong Together. People don't know how many times I listen to that song. Like, in big 2021, she is timeless. But sorry, this is not like a... I don't want to do this, like, unvarnished love profession to Mariah Carey. I just want to share how much, like, I feel like the mainstream doesn't recognise excellent women, excellent women of colour or black descent. And even Mariah Carey, with her extremely light skin, her blonde hair, doesn't get her just dues. So how do darker women with very coily hair get their just dues, you know? And I've noticed that people are, I think, uncomfortable with black women getting their accolades, being loved. Even I am uncomfortable with it in myself to the point where I self-sabotage in relationships when people try to be very kind and supportive of me. It makes me extremely uncomfortable. I assume either it's fake or even if it's real, I don't try to receive it because I guess I have a defence built up and it's something that I'm working on. You know, I don't really want to go too deep into that. But I realised the type of music I was raised on was always black women crying out for love, you know, or experiencing lost love or pain, you know, from the Faith Evans, I'll Be Missing You to Mary J. Blige's songs, um, even the raps, you know, from Little Kim and Nicki Minaj, D 
these were women often saying, I'm in pain. And these are the forms in which the world is okay with seeing black women when they are crying out for love. But when they are receiving it, there seems like a strong level of discomfort. As if black women shouldn't experience joy. And this is something I'm really tackling. Like, as I get good things happening to me, I have to tell myself I deserve it. And the fear I have of sharing it is why I don't really post wins online. Because I'm scared someone's going to rain on my parade. And it's common. I think of my discomfort often being celebrated, being noticed. My private accounts and my lack of pictures, my archiving of images says I'm not a proud woman, a proud black woman. And that's concerning to me. But I also think of Audre Lorde's very empowering essay, Eye to Eye, where she talks about black women hurting one another because they hurt themselves. I think she called it a cancel annihilation. The way we speak to one another is so venomous. It's because that's how we speak to ourselves. It's a complete internalised self-hatred. It's seeing someone else do well and saying, I'm not doing well. Or we as black women don't do well, so you aren't going to do well. And you're definitely not going to share it. You shouldn't be offended by somebody's joy. And as James Baldwin said, if you do so, if someone does something to you long enough, you do it to yourself. So if the world negs you and makes you feel like crap often enough, you are going to do it to yourself. So I'm still learning to be comfortable in who I am. And it's a journey. But I wanted to share this because I feel like my quest in becoming an older black woman is to be more happy with myself. Make sure the joy outweighs the pain. Never be regretful of that. And just embrace my life as it is, develop and improve. And yeah, that's the goal in becoming an older black woman. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will do another episode soon. It's quite it'll be on quite a difficult topic, so Hold tight for that and hope you take care.